why don't you pray with me as we start. Father God, we do thank you for your word, that you speak to us. And Father, as we listen to Jesus' words today, help us to heed what it has to say and to respond in faith and repentance. Amen. Friends, it's almost hard to believe that there's been eight years since the tsunami struck Indonesia, and 280,000 people were wiped out in one swift blow. It's one of the deadliest natural disasters that, that we know of ever in the history of humankind. But see, tsunamis don't just happen by themselves. You know, it's not, not like tsunamis just spontaneously appear in the ocean. Tsunamis normally follow an earthquake that happens first. And as it displaces a huge amount of water, they become tidal waves that devastated the coastline of Indonesia. An earthquake rumbles away in the ocean, and a couple of hours later, tidal waves smash the coastline. Now, since that disaster, tsunami warning systems have gone up all over the region. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you can detect the earthquake before the waves come, will you have a chance to warn people before the danger strikes? But here's the thing about warning systems. And it's true of the tsunami warning system, of, of any warning system, really. You see, the, the effectiveness of the warning isn't just about how, how good you are at detecting that earthquake, but also on the response of the people as they hear that warning. Now suppose that, that you're on the beach with your family, you're out holidaying, uh, kicking up your feet on the deck chair, sipping away at your cocktail, and you hear the tsunami warning horns going off. What would you do? What kind of response would you make? I mean, you could ignore it in kind of the same way that we like to ignore fire drills, for example. Uh, continue sipping away at your cocktail, uh, let your kids keep playing away on the beach, and that warning falls on deaf ears and disaster will strike, won't it? It would be a fatal error not to act upon that warning. And now in our, our passage of the Bible today, Jesus has some very stark warnings for us. Warnings that we must not ignore. For there is a danger coming, and it's more deadly than a tsunami. See, Jesus tells us that judgment is coming, and it's coming on all of humanity. And Jesus describes six fatal errors that you can make in responding to his warnings about judgment. But friends... Jesus' true disciples will heed the warning of that judgment and act accordingly. Let me say that again. Jesus' true disciples will heed the warning of that judgment and act accordingly. So it's going to be very beneficial for you to have uh, Jesus' words open in front of you, which, as we saw before, you'll find on page 685 or 1505 on the, the big print Bibles. Do follow along with me. Okay, fatal error number one. Fatal error number one is to judge others, but to fail to judge yourself. Now, 
chapter 7, verse 1 is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And partly I think that's because, you know, we're really, really sensitive about judging other people in our society, aren't we? However, I think Jesus is actually a little bit more concerned about, not, not about whether you should judge, but the manner in which you judge. You see, what Jesus wants us to know is that as you go judging others, you need to know that there is a judgment coming on you. Read with me in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What goes around comes around, Jesus says. As you judge others, you need to know that there's a judgment coming on you. Now friends, if if God is going to judge us, well, you've got to first look at your own life and consider your own standing before God before you even consider looking at another one's life. Of course, Jesus uses that absurd illustration, doesn't he? Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's kind of another well-known illustration, isn't it? It's meant to be pretty ridiculous, but Jesus is actually saying something pretty serious, isn't he? You know, friends, we've got to consider our own faults, you know, our own sins and our own flaws before we even, even consider pointing the finger at another one. You know, I kind of wonder what, what kind of things we judge each other on, you know, uh, what school we send our kids to, you know, how is it that, that others dress, how they spend their money. Um, those of you who are, who are married, you, you know, don't you, it's, it's really easy to always point the finger at your spouse, isn't it? Your friends, in light of the fact that we're going to be judged, first consider your own life before considering the lives of others. And friends, you know what? I reckon if we do that, we might even find ourselves humbled and extending a little bit more grace to others. So friends, the first fatal error is to judge others, but to fail to judge yourself. But Jesus' true disciples, they will see clearly themselves and they're standing before God before even considering judging another. Does that mean that we ought not to, to, to judge at all, make, make no judgments about, about anything? Well, no, actually, I think Jesus' next verse kind of counterbalances that a little bit because he shows us that you must live with some discernment. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is a notoriously uh, difficult verse to understand. Um, My best bet is, uh, I think it's about who we entrust our lives to. Now, what are the the precious things? What's the thing that's most precious to you? Well, your life, the life you have in in Christ, salvation. Now, if we entrust that to the world, a world that 
that is hostile to God. Well, friends, we, we run the risk that they may turn and trample what we have in Christ. Our lives are precious, and we need to entrust it to a loving Father. That's where Jesus turns to next. Now, there is a problem, though. You see, we will all, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God, and none of us have not sinned. Now, that's a problem for all of us, a problem for all of humanity. So, you see, to fail to approach God and ask for mercy, that's the second fatal mistake, self-sufficiency. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Jesus gives us a wonderful picture of our Father in heaven, one that is exceedingly generous, one that will outdo the fathers of this world. There's an obvious bit of an issue here, isn't there? Like, like hasn't Jesus just turned God into the, the magic genie that, that you kind of rub and the, the genie pops out and he says, I'll grant you any three wishes that you want. You know, and you're kind of like, well, wouldn't mind a Ferrari, a million dollars. Um, you know, like, that, that girl wouldn't mind her falling in love with me. That'd be kind of, that would make life a bit easier, wouldn't it? No, friends, to, to think that God would grant you your most worldly desires, you'd have to, have to ignore the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, wouldn't you? I mean, do not store up treasures on earth, Jesus said. So what, what can we ask God for? Well, in actual fact, Jesus has taught us what to pray for, hasn't he? Like, we actually prayed it just this morning. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from evil and temptation. These are the things that we should ask for. Things that are in line with God's will. So friends, in, in light of judgment, what should you ask for? Well, perhaps for deliverance from Satan. For salvation in Christ. For, for the removal from temptation to sin. And for entry into the kingdom of heaven. And friends, if you, if you would ask God of these things, I think you will find that he will be most generous. Friends, we cannot gain access to the kingdom on our own strength. But Jesus' true disciples will pray and ask that God would grant us entry into his kingdom and deliverance from the judgment that is to come. Now, Jesus' last line here kind of summarises how one ought to act. In fact, I'd actually say it's probably the summary of, of all that Jesus has taught about the law. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. See, friends, in light of judgment, in light of the kingdom that is to come, 
Jesus' disciples will love each other and would only, only do what they would like to have done to themselves. Okay, well, Jesus points out the third fatal error that you can make in light of judgment. Third fatal error, very easy one to make. It's about following the crowd. Now, Jesus presents this as a choice of two paths. You know, it's a bit like two ways to live, if you like, and uh, it's completely binary. So you're either on the path to life or you're on the path to destruction. If you notice, there's no middle path. Read with me in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, I do find these verses particularly challenging because I know I'm the kind of person who likes to follow along with the crowd. I kind of want to be popular. The popular path is it's easy, it's broad, it's well-trodden, and there are many on it. But friends, Jesus says that that is the path to destruction. It's just so easy just to, to go along with the flow, go with the crowd, isn't it? You know, in, in high school, universities, it's called peer pressure. You know, the pressure to, to do and, and be like everyone else is, to conform to the, the kind of culture of the day. I think for many of us, it might be kind of just doing the next expected step in life, you know, kind of A lot, of, a lot of company, there's a lot of people going in that direction. It won't require a whole lot of thought because you can just drift along and do what's expected of you. Friends, that is the path to destruction. Really easy make, uh, mistake to make, but a fatal one nevertheless. Now Jesus is very clear that his true disciples will follow him down a narrow and unpopular route. To be marginalised and, and to be in the minority, to be counter-cultural. But friends, it's better to be lonely on the path to life than popular on the path to destruction. Okay, the fourth fatal error is to follow false prophets. And again, this is another one that I think, I mean, we, we, none of us think that we're going to go that way, but yet it's really easy because all you've got to do is be a little bit lazy and to lack discernment. So you see, a, a false prophet looks the piece. They may even sound like the real deal, but their lies will not produce fruit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognise them. 
Friends, the Bible constantly warns us against false prophets and, and false teachers, doesn't it? The test that Jesus describes is not to look on the outward appearance or the impressiveness of their teaching, but that of the inward righteousness. I think that's what Jesus means by talking about their fruit. You see, true prophets don't just preach God's word. Now, you'll be able to see it forming and and reforming their character as they themselves listen and respond to God's word. False prophets, in contrast, their lives will, will produce ungodliness. Now, you may not be able to tell straight away, but in time, you will be able to tell if you're looking out for it. Because bad teachers will produce bad lives. And that's why it's important to know those who teach you. You know, to have a, have a relationship with your pastors. See, I think that's kind of the danger of listening to a, a lot of sermons on, on the internet and uh, of reading a lot of Christian blogs and, and to be honest, like half the books in Kurong. You see, if you do that without discernment, you run the risk of ending up where false prophets end up, in the fire. But Jesus' true disciples will be careful to discern who it is that they're learning off. All right, friends, well, we all love the spectacular and the powerful but Jesus warns us that we must, not, we must not be caught relying on great acts, great achievements when it comes to judgment. For you see, big claims and spectacular deeds, it's not going to count for much before God. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The errors are plain to see, aren't they? They've got big claims and impressive deeds. But what's the thing they lack Against that inner life of obedience to the will of the Father. And friends, there are enough Christians around seeking the spectacular, healings and miracles of, of huge crowds and preaching of awesome and exciting music. But friends, if we, if we run after that at the neglect of the inner life of obedience, then friends, we do run the risk of falling into this fatal error. On judgment day, God will not look to the greatness of your achievements, but on whether you have done the will of our Father in heaven. Well, friends, I actually hope that that kind of gives some of us a bit of confidence as well. And I'm talking about particularly you, uh, if you're the kind of quieter person, you know, you're not really much of an upfront kind of person, but you humbly continue obeying God's word, learning off his word, serving his people, might even just be in the background that no one may notice. But friends, even if you're not noticed by man, you will be noticed by God. Friends, Jesus' true disciples will quietly, humbly do the will of their Father. 
And now the fatal, final fatal error. It's possibly the most important one because it's the one that concludes the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been a bit tired this morning and you're finding it hard to kind of pay attention, now is a good time to tune in. It's the famous story of, of the two houses that we saw this morning. One built on rock, the other built on sand, or on soft, sandy sand, as we had this morning. Externally, there's not a lot to distinguish between them. But when the water and the rains of judgment come along, only one of them is left standing. And it was the one who put Jesus' words into practice. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand." The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, I think the frightening thing about this story is that both of these men heard the words of Jesus. That's that's us, isn't it? Because we've been sitting here listening to the words of Jesus over the last month, listening to the Sermon on the Mount. That means all of us are one of these two men. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Will you be the one who comes down with a great crash when judgment comes along? It's pretty easy. I'll tell you how. Hear these words of Jesus and walk away and do absolutely nothing about it. No, friends, Jesus' true disciples, they'll not only hear the words of Jesus, but put them into practice. That must be us. Because, friends, Jesus' warnings have been all too clear, haven't they? Judgment is coming. It's going to be life and it's going to be death. It's completely binary. You're either on the path to life or on the path to destruction. And in light of the coming judgment, Jesus' true disciples will heed the warnings of that judgment and act accordingly. And we've seen six fatal errors you can make. Are you making any of these errors? Judging others while failing to judge yourself? Thinking that you can kind of do it alone without asking God for help, despite having a generous Heavenly Father? Is it following the crowd on the easy route in life? Or following false prophets without discernment? Perhaps you love the spectacular and have failed to humbly obey God? Or finally, is it that you've been hearing Jesus' warnings and failing to put it into practice? Friends, that must not be us. So here's a sobering question for us. How have you put Jesus' words into practice? What difference has Jesus' words made in your life? Because as we said, we've been sitting here for the last month listening to the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. 
You've heard what he said about hatred and lust, about telling the truth. You've heard what he said about doing your religion for God and not for man. You've heard what he said about, about seeking God's kingdom and not worrying about all the things of this world, about not serving to masters, about not being anxious about worldly things. So has it made any difference in your life? You know, can you point to a change? Can you point to you know, even just one change, one, one change of behaviour that you've made in the last month? Can you point to a change in attitude? Maybe it's changed the way that you think about stuff and your attitude to life. Can you point to a time when you've been angry and stopped because of what Jesus has said? Or a time when you've chosen not, not to worry about the things of this world, but to trust that he can look after you in the same way that he looks after birds and lilies? Friends, maybe this is the week where you need to get off the path of following the crowd and choose to follow Jesus. Choose to, to build your life on his words, to put his words into practice, and to start building a life on the solid rock of him. Because Jesus has made it clear that judgment is coming, like a tsunami rushing on the coastline, like a fire burning away trees without fruit, like a storm that's going to test the foundations of your life. And friends, it's not a fire drill. This is real life. There is a real judgment. Friends, do not ignore Jesus' words. Do something about them today. And for those of you who have yet to put your, your trust in Jesus, you've never followed Jesus like this, well, in light of the judgment to come, you know you can ask God that you may be delivered from that judgment to come, forgiven for your sins. For friends... There was one man, one man who, who acknowledged the coming disaster upon all of humanity and did something about it. He presented himself on a cross, taking the judgment that is meant for us to save those who have fatally rejected God. And if you would ask of him to forgive you, he would pardon you generously and grant you access into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we have heard some tough and challenging things from Jesus today. And Father, as we walk away this Sunday from hearing Jesus' words, Lord, do help us not to just leave them here. Father, help us to reflect and dwell on them. Help us to put them into practice. Help us to mould our life around him. Lord, help us not to make any of these errors that Jesus has described. Lord, help us to humbly obey you. Help us to ask you, Father, will you help us to do these things? Will you deliver us from judgment? And will your kingdom come? And Father, we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.